Father, we uh, look forward to now looking into the depths and the riches of your great word of truth. And we don't look at it as a textbook simply for curiosity's sake, but we look at it for the life-changing truth that it can impart. And now we ask that your Holy Spirit will freely proclaim what is necessary for all of us to move forward in truth and doctrine, in righteousness and understanding. We ask now for guidance as we prepare ourselves for the weekend and certainly for the week ahead. Now for myself, I ask for you, for your wisdom, for your words. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For you indeed are my rock and my redeemer. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. A few years ago, I had the joy of, uh, well, I come from Phoenix, Arizona. I come from the desert. <laughs> I come from the land of tan. And uh, so anytime you can go anywhere where A, there is water, and B, there is green, you are excited. And uh, so I had the opportunity a few years back to tra- take a trip up, up the coast and up to San Francisco. And I was delighted as I saw the beautiful blue water and all those elements. And someone suggested to me that we take a trip over to Alcatraz. They suggested it be one way, but that was a joke, one way. I'll get better. We would, uh, but we took this trip over to Alcatraz Island, and I was fascinated by the whole concept of imprisonment. And uh, as, as I went through, and the National Forest Service kind of takes you through a tour, it's a, it's a very interesting tour. We ended up in a very interesting spot. We ended up kind of on the third floor, as I recall, in front of these big steel doors. And as you open the door, you look in, and you, and you find yourself looking into an area that is about three feet across, and about four foot high, and about five feet deep. No lights, no running water, nothing. It's what they call solitary confinement. And it's where they put the most hardened of criminals, the criminals who just don't get it. The criminals who are troublemakers and rabble-rousers because they find that when they put them in this situation, when they put them behind those closed doors with no, no light, that their whole life comes unraveled. And the reason behind that is because in our sinful nature, you and I hate to be alone. We like to rub shoulders with people. The idea of solitude, the idea of bringing ourselves to a point where we are completely alone, if we would think of it honestly, terrifies you and I. And so they asked for volunteers from the group, and I've always kind of been the volunteering type. And they said, would anybody, would, would, would anyone like to go in and, and share what solitary confinement feels like? I went, yeah, sure, I'll try that. And so I, I kind of went in and, and they closed that door. And I'm telling you, it was dark. Now, I've seen dark before. How can you see dark? I've been in dark environments before, but this was dark. You put your hand in front of your face, you can't see a thing. And they would put these folks in here for 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours, depending on the occurrence. 
And every now and then, about three times a day, they just open up a little door at the bottom and they bring in a bucket and take out a bucket and they bring in your food. And it's cold oatmeal. That's all they give you. And it breaks down the hardest of prisoners. And as we left and, and took that boat back to the safety of the harbor, I began thinking about a friend of mine by the name of Harry Lee. Probably you don't know him. A missionary to China, a man who was indigenous to China, who grew up and, and uh, developed a local church there in the 30s. And as, as communism started to take over, it became harder and harder and harder for him to do what was necessary in the local church. And finally the day came where the Red Guard came into his very church and they took all the Bibles and the hymnals and the pews and they took them out front and they burned them and they imprisoned him. And Harry Lee was imprisoned for 25 years. And I thought of his book and I thought of him, a man that uh, I always remember with a joyful smile. He's now with the Lord. A joyful smile, but, but hands that were constantly like this from the attacks of his prison guards. And a, and a back that was slightly arched from living for that period of time in a cell that was four foot wide and six feet high and five feet deep that he shared with three other prisoners. And as I was thinking about that element of solitary confinement, I thought of Harry. And in one point in his book, he talked about the element, he says, I couldn't wait for the times when I had solitary confinement. Because it was the only time where I was left alone where I could pray aloud and I could sing. And I thought, what a difference that perspective is as a person who understands the value of solitude. A person, when they understand that when those doors are closed of the people around me, we're not alone, we are at, we were, are at God's side. And for 25 years, Harry sang hymns and prayed aloud to his God and quoted scriptures in those many times where he was in confinement. Today I want to talk to us about the issue of solitude. And by the look on your faces, I think it's the right time. I walked in this morning, and every person I met, I asked, How was your week? And I saw the clouded eyes, and in many cases I saw the dark shadows. I'm not that far away from being a student. I remember. And some people said to me, It's been a hard week. I'm really being stretched. You know, we've got missions conference coming up and boy, there's just not enough time. There's so much that has to be done. And I'm finding that with schoolwork and, and with all these things that I have to do, I just don't have enough time in the day, Pastor Bob. I, I'm, I'm finding that I'm struggling to be able to, to meet the needs of the week. And I dare say if I would have talked not only with five, but if I would have talked with 30 more, I would have heard the same thing. And I want to give you some information this morning that as you all go out to mission conference next week, is the key to your success. What probably happened for you this week is as you looked at your schedule and saw the things that needed to be done, your time of solitude with God is what got lost in the shuffle. You got your homework done, you got the meetings done, you got to class, 
You maybe even made it to church. But somehow that idea of putting everyone aside and everything aside and saying, God, it's just you and me. Let's do business. I may have gotten lost in the shop. What I want to talk about this morning is how important it was to our Savior. And I would like to take you to three specific elements in the life of Jesus Christ to help you and I understand that there is no substitute for our times of silence, our times of meditation, our times of solitude with the person of Jesus Christ. There is no substitute for spending time in meditation with God. My friends, as I look out here, these are the leaders of our evangelistic church, or our evangelical churches of tomorrow. You will not be the leaders you need to be without quiet times with God. And I'm not talking about five minutes with daily bread. I think that's valuable. I think it's a wonderful thing to have. But if you have not incorporated into your experience, into your every day, a situation that says there is a time where I spend aside completely with God, where he and I just meditate alone, where I work on the things that need to be done, you're missing it and you will not grow. As great as your instructors are here, and they are great, as wonderful as your, de- your three times a week chapel experiences are, and they are wonderful, as magnificent as your pastors may be in your local church, they are not the ones who can guide you to holiness. God's Word and God and you humbly on your face before Him is the only way. I have seen people go so fast into the maturing process simply by opening God's Word and standing alone before Him. I thank God for a, for a godly mother Many people didn't have the opportunity to be raised up in an experience where they had Christian parents. I'm so thankful for mine. My mom was the type of person that she she would make certain that she had her time of solitude with God every single day. But the problem with our environment is that it was a household full of men. I and my brothers and my mom was the only woman in the house. She says, well, where am I going to get away for solitude? How are we going to pull this off? She found that the only safe place was in the bathroom. So she would go in there when she would lock the door and little Bobby Joe would, Mommy, I need cereal. Go away. She wouldn't come out until she was ready to meet the day. Read the biography of John Wesley. He's speaking of his mother. He said, with 12 children around the house all the time, there was never a place that she could get away. And so what she would do from time to time, she would just sit down on a chair in the kitchen and she would take her apron and she would put it over her head. And at that point in time, the kids know you don't mess with mom when the apron's over her head. You say, I don't have time for solitude. You don't know my schedule. You know what? I'll bet I do. I want you to know that you must make time to be alone with God. And that's the theme that we would like to develop this morning. And I'd like to take you through the life of Christ and give you just a couple of simple points to help you understand. Would you take your Bibles this morning and would you turn to the book of Matthew? And we're going to take three snapshots. We're going to look at the life of Christ in three specific situations. And out of this, I hope that you will develop for yourself uh, some application as you move into this next week. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Our first point that we look at this morning is that in the midst of solitude, our communion and fellowship with God is heightened. 
I find that I'm at a point in my Christian walk where if I miss my time alone with God, my day just goes upside down. And the reason for that is because I find so often that when I start miss, miss starting off my day with my Heavenly Father, that I'm doing it on Bob's terms. See, Bob is what's called a choleric personality. I'm a controller. Anybody who's been around Church of the Canyons for a year knows that I struggle in that area. And if I do not have God solidly planted before me, my path, the direction I go, is not a pretty one. I have to tell you that my background is as a high school band director. I love the power of being able to blow a whistle and have 285 kids snap to attention like that. I get off on that. I could have been in the Marines. I like having that control. I'd like right now to be able to do the wave in here and watch how that works. It's horrible. I am learning in my times of solitude just how far away I can go from God if I do not make a concerted effort on a day-by-day basis to take my time alone with Him to put Him in charge. You say, I, well, you choleric, you, you got it bad. Well, maybe you're the kindest. That's a person who's easily led by the nose. You know, that talks in Scripture about every wave of doctrine and you just kind of head it, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. There's some of those on every campus. And I want you to know something. Us choleric guys will grab you. And we'll make you our little cult following unless you put yourself right in the path of God that says, God, I'm a follower. I seek to follow you. And it's in your time of meditation, in your time of solitude, in that time alone with the Lord, that you will see Him more clearly and your fellowship will be developed. The fourth chapter of Matthew, it says, Jesus was led away by the Spirit into the wilderness. I've heard many people discuss this and and work through this passage and say, you know, the reason why Christ was sent out into the wilderness was because it was where he was at his weakest. After all, we wanted to give Satan a fair shot at him. My friends, I want you to understand today that nothing could be farther from the truth. In the middle of the wilderness, we see in Christ's ministry, in that time of solitude, in the time, now listen, in the point where he could meditate alone with Christ, with his father in the point where he can move away from the distraction of people he was at his strongest and so the Holy Spirit says come away here we're going to move you out in the wilderness and for 40 days Christ moved away from the voluntary consumption of food and he says for this entire period all I'm going to do is worship you God I'm going to learn from you and I'm going to be guided from you and I'm going to prepare myself for whatever it is that you have in front of you And after he had fasted, verse 2, it says, for 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry and the tempter came unto him. Now, we all know this passage. We know that three elements that the tempter came before him with. And I want to just discuss them for a moment, only to help you understand that he, in the midst of this wilderness situation, in the midst of 40 days of solitude, when Satan came walking down the aisle, he was ready. 
It wasn't as, oh, I'm so hungry. I sure hope I can make it through this experience. No. Christ at that point in time was at his very, very strongest. For 40 days he had done nothing but understand. Food's not the important thing. My God's the important thing. And as he, as he would lay his head down on a rock at night and he would hear uh, the mountain lions and the bears and all the things that were happening wander through that wilderness and he learned to trust. God put me here. He learned to trust completely on him. He learned who his authority was. He learned all those elements. And let's look at these three elements. The first thing he says, it is written, excuse me, and the tempter came to said to him and said to him, if... By the way, here, Greek students, we have a first-class conditional. Simply means since. Since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus answered and said, It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth. The test of bread turns stones into bread, he said. In the desert, Christ had already learned, man doesn't live by bread alone. Forty days, he had already learned, that, that has nothing to do with anything. I need instead to follow God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and, and had him stand on the pinnacle. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, etc. And Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Strength. He'd learned who his authority was in the middle of that desert. Some guy wasn't just going to come in walking off the street and says, hey, I've got a better plan for you here. And Jesus Christ goes, yeah, okay. He understood who was in control. Forty days of meditating just between him and God alone had brought him to an understanding. There is no one like my God. My heavenly Father has put me here. I will do his will. I will move forward in his plan. And in the midst of that meditation, nothing was going to move him away from the truth. You live in a violent world. You live in a place where it's going to be tough to maintain your testimony. Without that solitude before your Heavenly Father, without that meditation, without that time alone, there you understand His authority and your subjection, you're going to fall. Someone's going to come walking along and good plan. Off you're going to go. And he comes before him and he says, Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and the glory and said, I'll give you all these things if you will fall down and worship. And I love Christ's counter. Be gone. 20th century, bug off. Get lost. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What I want us to understand from this point is it's in the quiet times that we receive the necessary information for us to go through the temptation. And I hear all the time folks walk in and out of my office, I just, I don't know, I just wasn't ready for that temptation or I just, I just, I'm so gullible. You don't have God's word in your life. You haven't spent the time in solitude that is necessary to come to know him better. second thing I want us to look at is in the midst of solitude, our busy schedules and duties are placed in perspective. Look at Mark 1. 
Now, if I put you to sleep, here's where you need to wake up. Because I dare say that this is exactly the reason that God laid this message upon my mental reference. Because I think right now this is where you're living. Mark 1, we go back to verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Every now and then, Scripture gives us a snapshot of a day of Jesus Christ. You know, so often we think of, of these movies of Jesus Christ. I just hate those movies. He's going around with this long hair and with these kind of salty blue eyes, and he's just kind of walking along like... I love you. You're so good. He wasn't that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy who got up in the morning and got busy. He didn't just kind of wander through life. Now, I noticed one thing about Jesus Christ. He was never in a hurry, but he was always busy. He was always attending to his father's business. And this is a perfect example of the day. He got up early on the Sabbath in Camertum and he entered the synagogue and he began to teach. And the first thing as he begins to teach, you have to understand that the way the rabbis taught back then was, uh, was completely different. They didn't speak with what is called authority. It was kind of like, well, maybe this and maybe that. And, yeah, take your choice. Jesus Christ got up and he opened the tablets and he began to speak. He began to speak with authority. And it says, And they were amazed at his teaching. For he was one teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes did. And just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What do you have to do with, with, with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now stop for a second here. It's so hard. Here we are in 1996. And we're in this nice chapel surrounding. We've had this wonderful music before us. And... And we've had Bert come up to minister to us, and C.W. pumped me up a little bit. I've got to go out afterwards and kind of get unpumped, you know. But, but we're sitting in here, and everything's kind of fine. Think of all of a sudden someone on the back, throw, back row uh, stood up and said, Pastor Bob, what do you have to do with us? What are you doing here anyway? We have our nice little isolated, insulated environment where everything's going to be fine and you can kind of fall asleep. The lights are kind of low if you need to and, and, and you can let the pastor kind of drone on a little bit for a while and, and know that pretty soon it'll be over and life will be good and we'll go on for a weekend. Not in this situation. This is this environment where the scribes and the Pharisees are sitting back in the corner kind of mumbling going, hey, this guy's talking, how's he talking? And over here in the corner, there's un this person with an unclean spirit and he's not only mumbling, but he's also screaming and hollering. And Jesus Christ in the middle of this very uh, unusual environment does this. And Jesus Christ rebuked him and said, be quiet. <laughs> I love that. Be quiet. And come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions... The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed. And so they, they began debating among themselves, what is this? This is a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately the news about him uh, went out everywhere into all the surrounding districts. So Jesus Christ had quite a morning in the synagogue. He's teaching and he's, he's throwing out unclean demons. What? I can't wait for heaven. I pray that there will be a video projector in heaven, don't you? So that on occasion, I think I'll watch the tape of Jesus' day in Capernaum. That was so cool. Okay, now watch this part. Fast forward to this part. Let's pause there. You see the look on his face. 
I don't know. Give me license, okay? Don't come up after me, after Bible students, and explain to me why that can't be the case. Okay, it's, it's fine. It's just, okay. So they come out of the synagogue, verse 29. That, that took care of the morning. Immediately afterwards, they came out of the synagogue, and they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. So he comes in the house, and he goes... <clears throat> I know you've had a rough morning. You're probably pretty hungry and everything. Uh, but there's no food ready today. Uh, my mom's sick. He goes, all right, no problem. So he came up to her and he raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. Isn't that so typical? Guys, we would never fix the meal. We would just cure the person so that they could make the meal. Men or something, aren't they? But he cures her. She makes the meal, waits on them, it says literally. And when evening had come, now took care of the afternoon, when evening had come, after the sun's had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and all who were demon-possessed. The word got around that this guy can take care of demon-possessed people and people who are ill. And so Jesus Christ is sitting out here on the porch of the house till way after sunset, towards into the night. And what is he doing? And the whole city had gathered at the door. Now let me give you some, some insight here, Greek students. You ready? This verse here in the original language says this. The whole city had gathered at the door. That's my second joke that flopped. Oh well. No, what I'm trying to say to you is it's not just some interpolation of the New American Standard. It's simply saying this. The whole city was there. This guy speaks with authority. This is the guy who, who tosses out unclean demons. This is a person who just raises people right up and they, pick, they fix lasagna for them. I mean, it's an amazing situation. And the whole city is gathered around this area. And Jesus Christ is out there healing and speaking and ministering. Late into the night. And he healed many, verse 34, who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew he was coming. Now, after a day like that, wouldn't you say that he deserved a good night's rest? Up early in the morning, going over his notes for synagogue ready for that Sunday school, well, Sabbath school class. Ready, some of you are awake, ready to go through what needed to be done for the day. Yeah, I'm, I, you can bring a little humor, it's okay. You said if you get humorous, it would, we'd laugh. Okay. But he goes through this whole element of this day, and this day is in perspective. At the end of the day, I don't know how you would be but I know that just after a morning of just ministering sometimes twice at Church of the Canyons, I go home and I just say, Pammy, don't bother me. No phone calls unless someone dies. I'm going to bed. Sometimes I'll sleep two or three hours. Not Jesus. He continues on going through the day and he ministers and he ministers and he works with people and he heals people and he brings out the unclean spirit and into the late portion of the night he continues on. And I would just kind of go, now that was a good start. Did you notice how the people are gathering around? The disciples must have been going, 
Not tomorrow. Tomorrow what we're going to do is we're going to go down and we're going to rent the Elks Club. There's a little bit more room down there and we can get more people in and we'll be able to just really, we're going to bring in the kingdom. Jesus Christ goes to bed and I want you to notice what happens in verse 35. This is where we're headed. And early in the early morning while it was still dark, Probably before four o'clock in the morning, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. See, he understood that in the midst of that busyness, in the midst of that schedule that he was developing, in the midst of the things that he was going through, he had to keep it in perspective. Friends, I know right now you are going through the busiest times. Probably you will go through right up to your final exams. There is more expected of you right now. There is more prayer going up in this valley for you than you can even imagine. We're excited. I'm going to tell you something. All the ministry, all the busyness, all the travel, all the witnessing in the world means nothing if you lose your perspective of your time with God. And if it means when you're up there in Salt Lake City, Bert, and you just say, my schedule is so busy, I don't know where I'm going to put in that time for God. Get one of the guys on your team to slap you. And say, Bert, get up an hour early if you've got to, but don't miss it. And you mission team's leaders, my voice is getting up there, sorry. You mission team's leaders, you make sure that your team are keeping that together. If they get out of the element of staying close to that solitude, that experience of meditation with God, your whole mission strategy will come out of whack and it will be nothing more than a human experience. We don't need more human experience. We need people who are God-centered and are following behind Him 100% and are saying, God, what do you want us to do today? And are in a position where they are able to hear. And Jesus Christ must have thought when he woke up, that was quite a day. I've got to clear my mind. And he knew where to go to make that happen. What does it say? He went out to a lonely place. Back to the wilderness he goes. And in that lonely place, he sat down and he began to pray. Now, I love the disciples. They're so much like me. God, we got a good thing going here. Don't you know that the people are looking for you? They began to look for him. And Simon said to his companions, and they began to hunt for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. Now, Christ, here's the agenda for the day. First thing we're going to do is we're going to zip on by the synagogue again, just so that we can see the faces on the priests and the scribes there. That's going to be kind of fun. Then, then we're going to head on down to the main square and we've got a revival planned at noon. Three o'clock, we're going to have a healing service down by the pool. And at five o'clock, we're going to have a dinner with some of the leaders of the community. That's not in the text. I made that up. But they had a plan. They said, we've got a direction. We see something happening here. Boy, this is exciting. It's really taking off. And Jesus Christ said, no. No, 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 no. I didn't come for that purpose. I didn't come to make a name for myself. I didn't come to heal people. What does he say? He said to them, let's go somewhere else, to other towns, in order that I may preach there also. That's why I came. 
See, in the midst of solitude, that perspective of the element that I came here to do God's will came back. See, if it was me at the end of a day like that, I would just go, you know, this is going pretty good. I, I think I might just kind of stick around here for a while and get some stuff accomplished. Jesus Christ never lost track of where God wanted him to be. And I challenge you, I urge you, I will be on my knees all week for you with this whole issue, friends. Don't lose track of who leads the mission. Don't miss out on God's good blessing by following closely behind Him. I confess to you I hate it about myself. So often I get so far ahead of God, I'm going, God, it's going pretty good, it's going pretty good, isn't it? <coughs> God, it's so good. He comes and picks me up. He said, did you learn your lesson yet? Don't you get it? Bob, when you're ahead of me, nothing good happens. But when you follow in my shadow, that's when ministry develops. I want you to follow in God's shadow this week. As you move out and you minister to the unchurched masses, they need your time, they need your energy, but only in the shadow of God who protects and guides you. Don't get out in front of who he is. So in the midst of solitude, we see our busy schedules and duties are placed in perspective. Finally, in closing, in the midst of solitude, our griefs, doubts, and anxieties are calm. Turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. In the midst of solitude, our griefs, doubts, and anxieties are calm. Since about uh, the age of 26, I'm 42, he called me a young man. Thanks. Since about the age of 26, I've been ministering for the Lord at a church in Phoenix, first in youth ministry and then as uh, the education specialist and principal of our Christian school. And uh, as I felt the Lord calling me and moving me towards ministry as a senior pastor, as a shepherd of his flock, I was grateful for the preparation and the training. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, a year into this now, and this is my first senior pastorate, and we are growing and learning together as a family. They are becoming more accepting of me, and I am learning the greatness of them, <laughs> learning to love the sheep. And the first year, I've understood, I found, is, is a bit of a, a honeymoon. People nod and smile. and tell you good things. And it's in that second year where things get a little bumpy, right? Where people start to say, well, looks like he's going to stick. Looks like he'll be here for a while. I, I guess I can take off the gloves now and, and really uh, get him humbled out. And, and God has been so good to me in the last couple of weeks in, in terms of there's been some elements of people testing. I call it, um, the people have gotten out their rubber hoses. I don't mean all, we're doing fine. 
But it's hard sometimes as a pastor to, to hear the upset sheep, to deal with a biting sheep. They always come up from behind. And if you were to see, I, I've got a little bruises from the last couple of weeks. And God has, in that experience, really done some good things for me. God has brought me closer to His side in majestic ways. And what I have learned in the last couple of weeks is that when things get tough, when I'm a bit backed up against the wall, the very best thing that I can do is crank out another hour of solitude. Because I can't fix people, but I can fix my attitude. I have learned and continue to learn that my job is to love all the sheep, the lovely young lambs and the crabby old ewes. They're God, and He's given them to me to nurture. And you're going to find that in the midst of solitude, friends, you will learn how to handle the struggles of life. Because as much as this difficult week was of stretching, you're going to find that it gets more difficult as you move out and you struggle with people encounters. And that is what God has called us to be, relational people. And in the midst of Christ's most desperate struggle, we read in the 13th chapter of John that he realized that all things had been placed into his hands and he found himself in an environment where within his spirit he was grieved. He was hurting. He was fearful. And yet in this beautiful passage we see what he did. Verse 36 of chapter 26 of Matthew. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and greatly distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed and said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. In the midst of his most grievous moment, in the midst as, as the horror of separation from his father passed before him, he went back to that most comfortable place. He went back to the solitude, in this case, of the garden. And he fell on his face before his heavenly father and three times he said to him what would you have me do See, because it's not only in solitude that we find the other elements that we talk but we find the answers to our greatest distresses our greatest grief friends you are not going to find the answers to the problems that you are struggling with by pulling someone aside and just saying can I just talk with you? Can I just unburden myself? And I, that's okay. I think it's valuable for you to... But don't forget to put God into the equation. Fall on your face before your Heavenly Father and say, I'm distressed. I'm griefed. I'm burdened. Help me with the situation. Because the part that we don't look at in this beautiful passage is after the three times that He went before His Heavenly Father, He came to them 
in verse 45, and he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Look at verse 36, 46. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. If I were on death row, I'd wait for them to come get me. And if they showed up ten minutes early, I'm afraid I'd be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I have ten more minutes. I have, you've seen the movies, Waiting for the Call from the Governor? Jesus Christ, after that final time of solitude, looked death right in the face and said, let's get going. We got business to take care of. See, because in their time of solitude, you receive tremendous courage. And it gave him everything that was necessary for him to endure the next 24 hours of abject and utter misery and agony, not only physically but with spiritually, as he hung on that cross and God took the entire sins of the world and laid them on his shoulder. In his solitude, he had become strong enough to endure even that. You are in a wonderful position. But you are in a very vulnerable position, friends. Because in the midst of our service, it's easy for us to lose track of who we serve. It's easy for us to lose track of who holds the keys. It's easy for us to lose track of who runs before us on the path. Don't miss it. You are approaching probably the busiest week of this year. Don't miss it. You must allow your Heavenly Father to guide you or you'll be all out of whack. If you take one thing away, please take that. Father, convict me to spend the time before you that I need to. And watch what he does in your life. I understand that uh, as we end this, um, you're going to pray for me and my church. Thanks. But before that, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your mission this coming week. I want to pray for your worship on Sunday. And if you would uh, just bow your heads with me. Father, we, we enter one of the most important weeks of this year. And we do so with great joy knowing that your sovereignty rules over all that you will put us in the places and the times to do your bidding and your will and that you will guide us down the path of righteousness. And I pray, first of all, for direction and guidance of the leaders. For each of the leaders who are represented here today, Father, convict them with the need to model solitude. Convict them with the, the need to encourage their fellow students to take that quiet time around your word 
to recharge the batteries, to regain the perspective, to follow you no matter the path. And for each of our missionaries who will be going out, guide them to be attuned carefully to your will for them. Help them to understand that they must preach the gospel all the time and if necessary, use words. Let this school's model of integrity and character and Christ-likeness infect this community and this county and the state and the state surrounding us. Father, bring revival to this land through these your stewards. We look forward to seeing the reports that will come out as your kingdom is enhanced. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.